What's up, guys? Welcome to the Dabao Podcast. Jada here. In this series, we bring Malaysians all around the world to you. We will have a glimpse of how life is at their side of the world. It was very conscious where I make sure that I don't see this as a sacrifice. I don't want it to be a sacrifice. It is a choice. It's not a sacrifice. I'm not sacrificing anything. I am choosing something that I want at that moment, which is picha. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dabao Podcast. So my uni days in Hong Kong was probably the time that I was the most involved in volunteering activities. So there was a very special part of my memory because I managed to see Hong Kong from a very different perspective as the community that we served are usually from the underprivileged family. While back in Malaysia, there is a group of friends from UCSI that has started a project when they were volunteering in a refugee learning center. They noticed a solution to a wider social problem in Malaysia and which later turned into a social enterprise. Let's welcome Suzanne Ling from Picha It's to the Dabao podcast. Hi, Suzanne. Hello. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I know that you have an extensive volunteering experience since back in the uni days. And Picha It's is actually not the first social enterprise that you have co-founded. So have you guys always been passionate about social issues that are related to the refugee community or it just kind of happened and all you did was to follow the flow i i, I think following the flow was was real um but hmm. picha eats picha eats was the first social enterprise that we started before picha eats um what i was handling was actually called hands of hope it was a hmm. volunteering platform so it's not really a social enterprise yet um, I see. yeah so how it all came about was um back in 2013 when i was in university so during my first year um, I did psychology. I'm a psychology student and I mm-hmm. have always wanted to um, volunteer with kids but it wasn't specifically like with any community but I just knew that I wanted to uh, use my free time to work with kids. Lah. So at that time what happened was I was exploring oh should I go to a um, should I go to a children's home? Should I go to a special needs center or where should I go? And that was where one well, of my friend um, actually told me about the refugees in Malaysia. Yeah, it all started with this little event that I did in uni where I literally set up a table and a really ugly notice board um, <laughs> posters printed talking about uh, the refugee issue. And I just sit mm. at the table and like get some donations of um, school items, sports items and things like that for the refugee school. So that was how it all started actually. And that was how I met one mm. of my co-founders, who being a busybody join join and sign up at the table. So so yeah, so that was how I, I met them. And after doing that, uh, after doing that little awareness event, I went on to volunteer in the school as a teacher consistently every Friday for about two hours. So I think I was teaching English and math or English and science. So like wow. weeks lah. And during that time that was when um, we realized that the school was struggling financially, so we did like a fundraising concert in 2014, and then we did another concert in 2015. So all in all, me, Kim, and Sweden, uh, we were all teaching in the in the refugee school throughout our uni year, so about three years. And that mm-hmm. was when, in 2015, we realized that a lot of our kids uh, at the age of like 
14, they have to drop out from school because they have to work in KK Mart, Pasamalam and places like that. And that was when we started thinking, how can we help their families to be financially more sustainable so that the kids don't have to end up dropping out to work? And that was how Picha Project came about. Lah. And that was Picha mm. Project. And after that, we rebranded as Picha Eats. Yeah, so that's the beginning. Yeah. It, was, it, it all just kind of like happened, um, happened mm. naturally. So I guess like people always assume that you just choose to tackle a social problem, but it was like you were you guys were involved for like throughout the uni day, so it was like three years in, right? Two two and a half years in, and two then and a half years. Up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I heard from somewhere that you guys changed the name because people didn't take you guys seriously. Uh, like when you guys were named like Picha Project, was that true? <laughs> yeah, that that's quite funny because people will ask us things like, "Oh, when's your project ending?" <laughs> it's been three years, it's not ending. Mm. Um, and or, or they Because I think when we first started, we were... The truth is when we first started, we were in university. We were in our last semester. Mm. So I think a lot of people see Picha as like a uni project and we are called the Picha project. Yeah. Um, and when we start approaching like, you know, corporate clients and things like that, they it's it's a bit hard lah, for them to take us seriously because we are called a project, right? Um, yeah, this yeah, so is a one-off thing, right? Mm. And, and we don't want people to see us as just a charity body because we do have really good food that the chef cook. And we want to be able to, yeah, in order to be sustainable, we need to be seen as a proper business, I would say, that mm-hmm. offers products that Agreed. people do want. So yeah, so that's how the, how the transition happened. Yeah, we'll definitely touch upon the subject of, you know, the perception where yeah. people think that uh, Picha is just a charity and... Let's just like go back to like where you guys were started. Like oh. I know that Picha Eats had like a completely different name. It was the Hands of Hope until you yep. the three of you decided to change the name <laughs> well, to Picha. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> There's a beautiful story behind it. Can you share with us a little bit more? Okay, so Hands of Hope, um for Hands of Hope it was actually the Okay, let me think where to start. It's such a long story. Um <laughs> Before I started volunteering, I actually went to my uni and asked them, is there any volunteering platform that, you know, mm. I can find a place who needs volunteer? And there is none. And I was surprised that I can't be the only uni student who wants to volunteer, right? There must, there must yeah. be more out there. So after I uh, found out about the refugee school, um, I started Hands of Hope in my university, which was, uh, which was like a student club. Lah. It was like a club where... Um, whoever who wants to volunteer, you can sign up and I will match you to a place who needs teachers. So that was oh, what so cool. about. It was like a, a volunteering platform. So that, that started in 2014, I think. In 2014, mm-hmm. we started Hands of Hope. That's where my co-founders joined in Hands of Hope as well. Because through volunteering, uh, okay, because in our uni, we also kind of need to claim co-curriculum points. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking like since you need to earn points anyway, instead of you know going for a movie night or, or like some treasure hunt, why not volunteer and claim your mm. points and and make a change at the same time? So that's why I set Hands of Hope up because I think that there must be people who also want to volunteer la, and kids need teachers, so why not? So I set up Hands of Hope in twenty fourteen, set up like a little club and committee and. And that was how it started. So in 2016, when we started selling food, we were still in uni. So we call it Hands of Hope Kitchen. Uh, ah. Yeah, that's why it's called Hands of Hope Kitchen for about mm-hmm. three months, I think, before we change it to the Picha Project. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think Picha is the name of like one of the refugee families that you guys were working yeah. with, right? Yeah. So Picha is the name of uh, the son of our first chef. So mm-hmm. when we first started, how it happened was, um, we we had a student who said that she needs to drop out because she needs to take care of the family and cook. Then we were thinking. Mm. Um, then we, we were trying to find ways uh, to keep her in school Then in the end, we we got uh, one of the auntie who stay in her house as well uh, Who is not mm-hmm. working um, we, we thought to try out with her And she and she is Picha's mom So we tried out with this uh, mother whom we call her Genu Genu actually means ma- mother in mm-hmm. in uh, their Chin language But we, we call her Genu until now actually um, And... Mm. Um, she started trying out And at first she was actually very nervous Because she's like Oh can I cook for 20 packs I don't think I can So she, she's quite <laughs> nervous But mm. um, After trying for a few times uh, She kind of picked up on it and, and it started taking off And because it was our first kitchen right, We were there a lot of times Like figuring out the packaging uh, Spending mm. time with her Spending a lot of time with the, the son And when we decided to run this full time, we wanted a name that has a deeper meaning, la, not just some random kitchen. So we thought, why not name it after the boy, Picha? Mm-hmm. Because it, it, it's a constant reminder to ourselves that we um, we started for the families and no matter how we continue to grow, we should always grow for the families as well. So that's how the name came about mm-hmm. where we are called the Picha Project. Yeah, and then now Picha Eats. Yeah, it's like a name where you see, then it will anchor you back to, you know, the, the initial mission, like yeah. how you guys started. Yeah. Yeah, so are you guys still in touch with the family? Yeah, yeah, we just we just visited them wow. like last month. Um, yeah. Yeah, and since I've been living in Hong Kong for quite some time, right, mm. I'm guilty for not knowing much about the social issues that are involved with the refugee in Malaysia. Mm. So... Could you please share with us a little bit more information about why did the refugees choose to come to Malaysia instead of staying in their home country? Okay, this is actually a very broad question because um, yes. in Malaysia, we have refugees from Myanmar, Syria, Pakistan, Palestine, Iran, a lot of different countries and everyone leaves their country uh, for different reasons, depending on where they come from. Uh, but just mm. a general overview, in Malaysia now, we have about 178,000 refugees who are registered with United Nations. Um, but mm. in Malaysia, refugees are not allowed to work legally. Kids yes. cannot go to public school, which is why they end up in refugee learning centre, which needs you know, fundings to support them to operate. And mm. there's also limited access to healthcare. So um, this is the situation right now in Malaysia. And the reason why they came to Malaysia, despite knowing that Malaysia doesn't give them all these basic rights, right, is because really back in their home country, in their own words, in their own words, yeah, they say at least in Malaysia, when I walk out from my house, the worst thing that can happen to me is being stopped by a police, where back home, if I walk out of my house, I don't know if I'll get shot or an explosion might Gosh. just drop uh, on mm. top of my house and things like that. So yeah. if we look at the majority of the refugees in Malaysia, they are from Myanmar. So from Myanmar, there's also... Mm. Uh, in, from Myanmar, is a lot of... I think now you can also see on the news uh, a lot of mm-hmm. persecution yes. <coughs> due to um, political belief, religious belief, uh, due to different ethnic groups. So in Myanmar, there's like a lot of ethnic group and... From my knowledge, um, uh, the Rohingyas issue, which mm-hmm. I think everyone knows, um, mm-hmm. because of slightly different skin color, different background, uh, 
different religion, uh, religious belief that they are persecuted in a very, very, very bad way. Um, and there's also the Chin and the Kachins who are up north, yes. um, who are Christians, who are also affected. Um, and, and they also struggle a lot uh, in poverty because um, when the government chooses not to help develop your area, that is really very hard. So that's on the, uh, on the Myanmar side, la, which now thinks is unfortunately messy again. So um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how things will unfold, but I think if we follow the news, we know that things are again unstable in Myanmar. Um, yeah, and then moving forward to uh, refugees from, let's say, uh, Syria. So Syria has been going through a crazy civil war for the civil war. Yeah. Mm. yeah, like almost going to be nine years already. Uh, yeah, eight nine years, or yeah, I think it should be nine years if I'm 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 not wrong. So that mm-hmm. itself also, you you have nowhere to go actually. Like you really have nowhere to go. And like one of our chef, she came from her hometown was the HQ for ISIS. So oh. imagine if you stay in a place where ISIS has claimed as he, their HQ. Territory. They get, yeah, they mm-hmm. get attacked by Russia. They get attacked by, you know, uh, US. And then they get attacked by all these forces who claim that they want to take out ISIS and things like that. So, But the people who are struggling is the, the people. Uh, the people who stay there are affected. So... That's Syria. And then Palestine, you have the whole Gaza conflict, which is, again, crazy. Um, mm. Our chef from Gaza said that, it, yeah, it's really like living without life where where your mm. electricity get cut off for no reason. And then someday they cut off your Wi-Fi. Someday they cut off your water. It's like it's almost like playing a mind war where they just want to like drive you crazy. And economical activity is also very low um, because there's really nothing much going on there. So things, things are quite... I mean, if you look at things on a broader view, a normal human being with family would find ways to live. I think this is a very normal thing yes. that every one of us will do. If, if let's say today, like touch wood, right, there's a war happening in Malaysia, I would pack my bags and leave if I have money, right? Just buy a plane ticket and find somewhere and seek for refuge. And that was what they did. Um, but I think mm-hmm. the, the, um, the issue is that when they pack their bags and leave and they come to Malaysia, um, they struggle a different set of challenges, which is um, very hard to sustain, very hard to survive, uh, very hard to find job. The kids might go to school, might not go to school, but in their own words, again, at least that, at least they they won't die, right? At least they won't get. Yeah. So I think yeah. now the the question is really how do we help them not just to survive, but to help them to have a have a normal life. I'm not even saying have a good life, you know, have a normal life where they can do the basic and a lot of people that we meet actually tell us that they are willing to work hard they want they don't want to rely on handouts um they don't want to rely on their relatives sending them money so they really want to work hard yeah so basically like they are just trying to fulfill like the lowest maslow hierarchy of needs right just to have a safe space to live in yeah really just to have a safe space and and i truly believe that when you open up opportunities for them to work right a lot of things will fall into place like you know parents start working start earning a bit of money and then the kids get to go to school and then they become educated education can break the cycle of poverty and and yeah so right now i think the frustrating thing mm. is that they are not allowed to work legally which is a huge constraint because there are many high skilled um, people among the refugee community like even among our chefs, we had a lecturer. They, they are very smart and very skilled. That they don't have a place to, you know, 
show their skills and to work. Yeah, they are not able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like what you mentioned. I came to know that many of the chefs that you guys were working have like tertiary education background, and yeah. many of us are actually very curious about how do you guys work with the family. Like, uh, you mentioned, right? You cannot employ them. So, yeah. do you split the sales? Yeah. So we can't employ them legally. Um, mm-hmm. When we wanted to start this business, we spoke to some lawyers because we, we also don't want to get ourselves into trouble. Lah. So, uh, so we spoke to some lawyers and they told us that in Malaysia, in order to be considered as employment, um, um, there is three criteria. First is they are within our premise. Second is there's a fixed working hour. And third is there's a fixed pay. So mm-hmm. after finding out about this, we went around all three. Lah. So how we work is our chefs. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of Malaysia. You can always find loopholes. <laughs> but anyway, so um, yeah, so what we did was uh, the chefs work from their home and the chef um, get paid what they cook for. And they, of course, don't have a, a fixed working hour because it's yeah. you just cook when you have orders. So how we work is that with every sales that we get, so 50% go to the chef where out of mm. the 50%, half is ingredient cost and half is their profit. And another 50% comes to Picha where we cover everything else like packaging, delivery, uh, customer service, sales, marketing, operations, hygiene check, training, R&D and everything else to keep the business. Many, 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 many of them yeah. other than cooking. <laughs> yeah, so, so basically if you mm-hmm. want to think about it, the chef focus on buying ingredients and cooking. They don't have to worry about getting sales, maintaining the customer service or even restocking packaging. We will settle all those stuff for them. So that's how it has been for the past uh, five years. Yeah, I think that's not just like the beauty of Malaysia, that's the beauty of entrepreneurship where you guys just mm-hmm. find solutions around the <laughs> existing yeah. limitations. Yeah, yeah. No, no choice. I have to do it anyway, so just find a way. <laughs> mm. I know that you guys take pride in giving a fair pay to the chefs. Like, How do you balance between doing the right thing and still taking care of the sustainability of the business? Mm, that is a very, very, very difficult um, question. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people ask us what's the challenge of running a Picha. I would say, or mm. a social enterprise. La. I always yeah, that, that in general. Yeah, I always answer that running a business is tough on its own already. Um, because, I mean, you need, you need to look at marketing, sales, and everything under the sky. Um, running a mm. business is very stressful and I think running a business with an impact uh, gives it an extra layer of um, extra layer of challenge because a lot of times we have to make decisions that don't have an answer. We have to make decisions that I cannot I cannot go to like the book of ethics and find is this right or wrong. Everything is debatable mm-hmm. just depending on how you look at it. So one very real example that I can give you is for example food poisoning. So we are running a food business where we are serving to corporates and uh, yes. clients who are paying. So when the food quality is bad, um, it, it doesn't reflect on the chef itself. It reflects on Picha as a whole, we, who re- represents like 15 chefs. So mm. that we have to be super strict with the chef that they have to... Um, they have to, you know, follow all the hygiene standard. Like, do not put food on the floor. You must wear glove at all time. You must wear hairnet. You cannot be late. Uh, if the client order five chicken biryani, you cannot give four. You must give five because things like this happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, all this training take place and all these rules and regulation are in place. But 
there are people who can also twist it around and say you are too strict on the chefs like you are a social enterprise why so strict but but what how should we assure the client side if um, proper standards are not in place for kitchen so things like that like it's sometimes things that we have to struggle and for example when there is a chef who really cannot cook um, do we mm. continue training them even though we have tried like 10 times and they still cannot cook one dish or do we let them go because uh, the effort that we put on this chef to train her for 10 times could have trained another chef who pick up and already start taking off so it's a lot of decision like this where we have to, we, we always ask ourselves and there's always no right answer you just have to make sure. and stick to it like do i mm. keep trying or do i give out if i give out did i not try hard enough or is that the right thing to do? It's a lot of hard decision. Okay, there is two incidents that I remember very clearly. One was I had a chef who was cooking with her daughter-in-law. So it's like a grandma and a daughter-in-law cooking together. Mm. And the daughter-in-law wants to quit. And when she quit, she quit together with the grandma because they are like a duo together in the kitchen. But after mm. quitting, the grandma came to me and said she wants to continue. She doesn't want to quit. Uh, and I think there's like some family drama happening internally that I can't really... Uh, intervene uh, because like yeah. uh, the daughter-in-law is telling me no 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 don't don't let my grandma cook she is like uh, old and weak but the grandma like no I'm healthy I can cook so I mean at that time I, mm. I could I, I, I could make two decisions one is I just leave it because they already say they don't want to cook and I don't want to be involved in this family drama that is one uh, another way to do it is to go the extra mile and really you know visit them at home listen to them hear them out really find out can the mom still cook send her for a medical checkup and all that stuff there is two ways and both ways no one would say is wrong i mean both ways someone can say mm-hmm. wrong, someone can say is right like, exactly a business coach would maybe ask me why spend so much time on one family take it <laughs> and then the, True. yeah and then the social side will say no don't give out on anyone right things like that so in the end thankfully i i took the second step i went to talk to her um and in wow. the end we kept uh, we, we continued working and that was one of the best decisions i've made because she's an amazing chef uh she she loved cooking and her heart is really at the right place and i i never regretted that decision lah. everything was well after that so those are the place where even if I ask my co-founders, they will tell me, oh, you decide, law, see you want to go the extra yeah. <laughs> And then another incident was this chef who um, who unfortunately had a food poisoning case. Um, and oh. Yeah, so she, something that she cooked went wrong. And things are, these, these are mistakes that no matter how much precaution we make, sometimes something go wrong. It Maybe, happens, right? Yeah, it happens. And, and that, the food poisoning case, but I think what followed after was after the food poisoning case, there were still things that uh, we tried to we try to work out, but it was very hard for hygiene. So when we went to her house and uh, I had to actually tell her that I'm so sorry, we have to draw a line here because we've been trying out a few things and you seem like it, it, cannot, uh, it cannot collaborate uh, well to keep the hygiene proper. So when mm-hmm. we went to have the conversation, it's actually that I was actually there to draw the line and put this to an end with this specific share. But when I was there, uh, she started crying. She said she would really, uh, she will, she understand now that it is really very serious. So again, mm. I have to decide: do I continue, or is she is she doing this now because we really joined a line and she know that it's serious? Then I'm like, if she's serious, why earlier she not serious? So yeah. you know, <laughs> and then do, oh, I, do I give it another shot or no? Because it's food, you know, it's really quite risky. 
So I'm yeah. thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. Again, lah, no answer, right? But in the end, again, mm-hmm. I decided to give it another shot. And I think the thought process for me was very simple. Is that I want to be able to, you know, five years down the road when someone asks me about this incident, I can say that I have, did, I have done my best and it really couldn't work out. And at that time, when I asked myself, can I answer that I have done my best? My answer is actually no. I think there is more things I can still implement with this chef to make sure that um, things go really safe after this. Uh, so in the yeah. end, in the end, on top of in the end, I say okay lah. I say okay, let's do, let's try one more time. And she's still here. It's been one year plus. Uh, she's doing very oh. well. Um, yeah. Again, these are decisions that when you make, you don't know what's gonna happen because it's there's no blueprint. There is no mm. guarantee. It's a human that you are working with. You don't know what will happen. So, so yeah, I think that's the part about balancing. Because if, if we look at balancing, that I have to look at this chef livelihood versus the risk that the business is taking. Because the truth is, uh, my team did question me. So if the food poisoning happened again, can you take can you take the responsibility? How are you from a business perspective? Yeah, yeah. Because because when I said, "Oh, I'm taking her back," I will I will take the I will be responsible for her. And the question that was asked is how, like, <coughs> like if if the food poisoning happened again, uh, and it goes on the news and we get closed down, how are you going to be responsible for fifteen other chefs? And then True. I'm like, mm. <laughs> but but also put in what we can do, and it has worked out. So so yeah. Yeah, I think like from what you mentioned, right, since the beginning, I feel like the toughest part is to set up a framework for, you know, the chefs to follow, for how you guys process the things. And then eventually as time goes by, yes, there are still hiccups here and there, there, but with like, you know, them being like trained properly, that helps, right? Yeah, so I think we we learn along the way to put in different implementations Mm. uh, like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we learn that we learn along the way. Yeah, and like I know that like what we mentioned earlier mm. on, right? Many of us still confuse Picha Eats as a charity, mm. and people think that you know consumers buy from Picha Eats because of sympathy. What do you think? Um, I would say at first, uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't deny that at first it mm. was um a lot of people buy because they want to support. Uh, that is their exact word. They will always say, mm. uh, oh, I, I, I want to support, support you. Um, and that was when in 2019, uh, in 2019 that we realized that, hey, people stopped buying what happened. So we started mm. calling back all our clients, right? And we asked them, oh, I haven't seen you for a while. Um, how's everything? Um, did something go wrong? Is everything okay? And that was yeah. where they tell us, oh, we are supporting other businesses now because I think Picha doing quite well already. So we support someone else. Then we're like, oh no, that's that's not sustainable because we don't want people Mm-mm-mm. to buy from us because just sub- to support. Because usually when people say support, they support once, then they see you are doing well. They're like, okay, you are fine now. So we yeah. told ourselves um, we cannot move forward like this. We have to make sure that our product and services is so good that people come back because they enjoy Picha genuinely, whether to mm. support or not to support. So that's where we rebranded from Picha Project to Picha Eats. And we really, we really like put in a lot of effort in the whole of 2019 to make sure that our food is really good, packaging is changed and the service is improved and that we are on time and everything like that. And at the end of 20... And, and actually, that was in like March 2019. And at mm-hmm. that time, uh, what we aim for 
uh, it's uh, great food, awesome services, real impact. That was the three things that we were anchoring ourselves with. And and these three things, we never market it. Uh. It's just like an internal thing to guide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the and the funny thing is, at the end of the twenty nineteen, uh, there's actually a Google review that exactly mentioned these three things. Like the food is great, the service Aww. was good, and on top of that, we're making an impact. So we're like, yes, a mission Aww. achieved. <laughs> So yeah, and now if you go to our Google review and you scroll through, people genuinely re- enjoy the food and they reorder because they like the food. So the the um the impact side is like it's like a good to have add on already now, uh, which which is which is the direction that we want to go la, to be sustainable uh, sustainable. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I always believe that starting with the MVP and then pivot your way through. So mm. I think that's exactly what you guys did. <laughs> like what what do you guys do? So like from packaging and then improving like the taste. So you guys work a lot with the chefs to improve on that? Like Um we hired we actually hired an in house chef to uh tweak oh. a lot of recipe to because all mm-hmm. our chefs are home chefs. So yes. Uh, they they have their own recipe, so we we kind of like take the recipe and tweak it and give it another layer of like twist. <laughs> mm, yeah, so we work mm. on the packaging, uh, we work on the taste, we work on the service as well. Yeah, wow, and that that takes courage as well, right? Because that means that you have to pour extra money into improving yep. that, and I'm so <laughs> happy that it turned out yep. so well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I know that there are like quite a lot of things that are happening in the company right now. And I'm so sorry to hear that Kim was tested positive to mm. COVID last few weeks. Yeah. But like like and then and then I was like scrolling through um Picha It's like social media and I realized that you guys handled the very tough announcement to the public very well. <laughs> and yeah, and you reassured everyone that, you know, all meals are still safe except the ready to hit meals that mm. I think were impacted because those are the ones that are packed in the office. Yeah. So those were the things that we see from the outside. So <laughs> how did you feel and react when that happened? Um, I actually haven't shared this before anywhere. Uh you were the first one who asked. Um mm. two weeks before Kim was tested positive. Um uh, my two co-founders, Kim and Sweden, were actually uh, taking uh, a one one month break because the truth is we've been working every single day for five years. Uh, yeah, and um, they were taking uh, a step back to you know re re, re- I I would say realign and uh rest and to come back stronger. Yeah, so I um throughout that time um I was handling uh I was handling Picha with Kim and Sweden uh taking one step back because things were quite on track at that time that we thought okay they can take like a one month break mm. um, and when Kim was tested positive uh, I, I remember the whole situation very clearly where um, I was eating dinner it was 2nd of February so on the personal side um, on that day my sister gave birth to my nephew so I was oh. driving home super happy and like mm. oh um, yeah my nephew is born and then went home very happy eat dinner and halfway through my dinner half eaten plate at 8.30, um, I remember very clearly at 8.30, Kim called and say I tested positive. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> um, mm, and oh um, I, I remember I took my phone out because I don't want to freak my parents out, right? So I took my phone out. I went outside of my house to continue a few phone calls. And when I came in, it was like 11. 
So oh. for like two and a half years out, uh, two and a half hours outside, we were calling and sorting things out. Um, I think when I got the news, how I felt was, uh, that there are different layers of concern. I think the first layer is, uh, how will the team take it? Because. I think as the employer, it is our responsibility to protect the team. Lah. So Kim mm. hasn't been coming into the office, but um, but her mom has dropped by. So her mom mm. uh, has dropped mm. by. And, uh, and the mom is obviously a close contact, lah, right? So mm. in the end... Um, um, in the end, what happened was uh, uh, we had to call every single person in the team. There's like about 15 of them because I don't want to drop a message and like, hey, someone tested positive. I mean, it will freak them out. So yeah. call one by one, explain to them and tell them that uh, we um, don't worry about the business side of things. Uh, I want you to make sure that you are okay. If you are, you know, anxious and concerned and everything, talk to us. Um, don't worry about other stuff like worry about yourself because they live with their parents some of them so they are also worried mm-hmm. right? what if mm. they spread it to their parents so yeah. <clears throat> so we made all the calls um, called someone who could help me with some comms advice on how should I announce this and even should mm. I announce it or not because it was a week yeah. before Chinese New Year so I'm like do I announce it because such um, a big dilemma yeah, because the truth is, the food is not affected besides ready to mm-hmm. email. So can I just call the ready to email people and not announce it? Then after that, like after a lot of thinking and discussion, they're like, okay, we have to announce. And and I think um that is one layer, uh, which is worrying about the team and worrying about the chef whose sales might be affected because of this mm. and another layer of um, concern is the ready to heat meal which is produced in our office because at that time Kim was tested positive but she hasn't been in the office so the meals aren't affected um, but mm. the mom did drop by so do we yeah. do we still send out the meal or not so <laughs> according to I mean according to FDA and WHO and all that uh, it doesn't spread through food and packaging yes but but the worry is there lah, and it doesn't make sense for us to send out food um, to the clients when we know that they will be worried. So that's the second mm-hmm. layer of uh, uh, concern because on Wednesday, there was when the ready-to-heat meal was supposed to go out. So we got the news on Tuesday night, which means, oh. which means we have about like 300 boxes of food in the freezer right now that was supposed to go out mm-hmm. on Wednesday. Then mm. the next question is, do we send it out or do we not? <laughs> because yeah. that, that's like a few thousand in the fridge. So in the end, um, we decided not to. We don't want to put anyone into any risk of anxiousness or worry. So on Wednesday, the team went on full force to call every single person who was supposed to receive their meal to tell them that we have to postpone your meal because there is a suspected case in our office and we don't want to risk anything on your side. Uh, everyone really appreciated the call. Because um, mm. we called one by one personally. Um, wow, one by one, 300 of them. Uh, no, not 300, 300 meal boxes. So about oh. 50, 45 to 50 of them. So each right, person right. get like about f- six meals. Lah. So that, mm. and then after that, uh, everyone went to do swap tests. Uh, so we sent everyone out to do their swap tests, right? Just in case. So yeah. that's the third layer of concern on my side, lah, where I was counting the money. Oh my gosh, like swap mm. tests. That's a few thousand. Yeah. Sanitization, a few thousand. All the meals in the fridge, a few thousand. Uh, if they come back positive and we need to quarantine, that's like another four productions that needs to be cancelled. Another few thousand. So I'm like, I mean, stress. Oh, lah. Business is already not, so good and now mm. that's like another layer of of money flying away so but mm. but again um you know sales can we can always bring back sales what's most important is uh 
the team's well-being. I think that was my most concerned part. Uh, I want to make sure that the team is okay uh, and the clients are okay. And yeah, then after that on Thursday, all our results came back. Everyone tested negative except for one Thank person. God. Yeah. So one mm. person did test. That's positive. Kim, right? Yeah, so one person... No, no, no. Kim was already tested positive. Oh, okay. Yeah, so one person did got uh, tested positive uh, in our office where we have to then close for two weeks lah, for quarantine. So that mm-hmm. was when, again, we have to call everyone who was supposed to get their ready-to-heat meals in the next two weeks that we can't send their meal. Um, yeah, and, and then we quarantine for two weeks. We work from home. The two weeks of quarantine when we are at home, it also gives us a lot of brain space to strategize things um, mm. and plan things because we are not in the day-to-day operations for two weeks. Um, and, and yeah, and last week we were back. Uh, last last Saturday we were back in production to produce mm. everything. Uh, mm. Everything is out on track. And, and yeah, so we went through, we went through one little hurdle. No, it's not actually very serious. Okay, lah, not not too. <laughs> I guess like when when you were in that moment trying to sort things out, of of course it feels like oh my god, like what's gonna happen, right? But I think there are, there are two two sides are like from internally, right? The the staffs and the teams really see how how you guys process things, and I think moving forward that gives them the confidence that oh, I'm working for a team that cares about me, that cares about the consumers, not just you know, about like running the business properly. Yeah. And for consumer side as well, I think they they know like the people that they are supporting, right, really cares about them. Like instead of giving them the anxiety and risk, they are just willing to lose the profit. Yeah, so I, it, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a decision. Where, I mean, it's a time where you decide what is the right thing to do. Um, yeah, I'm thankful that I'm surrounded by people and advisors who um, stand stand by the right thing to do as well so for example when i ask should i announce that i shared my concern if i don't yeah. announce then it's not it's not being transparent but if i announce it does affect the chef so what's the middle ground is that i announce and i make it very clear that the chef are not affected please still order mm. from them right so yes. and, and then the advisors all were very supportive and they're like yeah i think that's the right thing to do uh, we also have advisors who yeah, who will guide us as well to do the right thing. And and I think another part is that when we call the chef, right, because we also need to let the chef know, we don't want them to find out from mm. social media. So when yeah. we call the chef, their response is also like, oh, are you okay? I, 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 so I, heartwarming. Yeah, they're like, oh, as, uh, I just want to make sure that you all are safe. Uh, sales is not the most oh. important to me and things like that. So, so yeah, so mm. that, that whole, I think that whole incident really showed us... Um, Oh, this was what I told my team as well. Because when my when mm. the team was calling the clients, everyone was very understanding. They were very caring. And they were even concerned about the people who were calling them. Like, oh, uh, sure, no problem. Are you mm. okay? Like, are you feeling mm. good? And things like that. So I was telling my team that um, the, the reaction of the clients to you is a reflection of what you have been doing to them. Because yeah. of all your very genuine customer service, your very genuine way of answering questions, really the team really treats the customer very well. Um, mm. And they are very genuine. Like every time the client requests for something, they will really try their best to uh, try and cater for the client. So I was yeah. telling them, like, I was telling them right now, the clients are all like very sweet and nice to you because all this while you have been really sweet and nice to them. So, you know. Yeah, building the relationship, right? Yeah, so I'm like, really, mm. really good job. Like. I told the team really good job and now you see 
you see the fruits of your good job, right? Yeah. Um, and and yeah, so I think that was something um, that I it was a big takeaway that that um it's really important to treat your clients well and to treat them genuinely, uh, keeping mm. their best interest in mind because when when little crises like this happen, they will they will have your back as well. Yeah, so shout out to the team at Picha It. If you're listening to this, Suzanne <laughs> is very, very proud of you. Yes, <laughs> they they have, my team have problem taking compliments. Every time I praise them, they're like, mm, okay. Mm, <laughs> Asians, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and from that single scenario, right, I can already see how much you have grown from like crisis management to everything. But like throughout this five years in, right, for Picha Eats and also one year in for Zucchini and Co., mm-hmm. like, what are the things that you have given up to reach where you are right now, personally? When Picha started, for me, it was quite accidental. As mentioned, I was in my final years doing my final year research and Picha was mm. like a, a side thing that I was running on top of my research. Um, and when I graduated, uh, we got into the Magic Accelerator program where they were training yes. social enterprises. So I thought, why not, right? Give it a shot. And then when I went into magic and before I even knew it, when we finished magic for after four months, Picha was already up and running as a business. And at the mm. time, it only hit me like, oh shit, I'm in a business. Like I've never wanted, <laughs> I've never ever wanted to own a business. Like, mm. like why am I in a business? Because, because <laughs> like I did psychology and I've always wanted to be a clinical psychologist and, um, mm. and you know, do my master's, PhD and, and, you know, and, and re- I really work in a hospital as a psychologist. That's what I always wanted to do. So so when it hit me that I am running a food business um, and I am not doing my master's, uh, for about one to two years, it was quite hard actually emotionally for me. Uh, mm-hmm. just, just a personal thing la, where when yeah. things get really tough. And, and when, I, when I say tough, uh, it's not like it's not like a tough work kind of tough. It's like physically draining kind of tough where we were doing the catering personally so just to give you a con what uh, an image yeah yeah we we were doing catering personally me kim and Sweet oh i didn't know that for two years mm. and mm. what the mm. entail is really the whole of catering so just imagine right when you go to an event you have a whole buffet spread already yeah. laid out um we laid that out last three of us sometimes <laughs> one so how it will mm. look like is uh, how it will look like is um we will go and buy all these like catering stuff and trays. Uh, I will load everything into my personal car and you have mm. like a full car of catering stuff and I just secretly pray that I don't get stopped by police. So uh, how does it look like is let's say if uh, if it's like a lunch catering, we will wake up at about let's say 7, drive to the chef house, bring them the trays so that they put the food into the trays and then we, we bring all the food um put it back to our car and that is where there's different situation la. like you have chef who the house have leaf so that's good no problem and then you have mm. chef who live on the fifth floor who has no leaf so oh damn so, yeah i really remember very clearly i remember i would always wake up a bit earlier so that i can go to like the mama outside their house and drink a teh tarik before the craziness starts so, so you know, <laughs> carrying carrying curry chicken and rice up and down the five floors of steps um Wow. Or, or you know like let's say 80 packs 80 packs of food just like running up and down then after that um, we drive to the client's place and the client's place are usually corporate so corporate you go through loading bay uh, mm. and the loading bay <laughs> another all, round yeah it's all guys and then you have these like two young girls who are 33 years old trying to unload oh. 
uh, catering mm. stuff. So that's actually very funny. So I always remember it was so funny. So we will open up our Avanza. Uh, mm. I, I drive my mom's Avanza, which is super angry also. Like, why you take my car <laughs> and do catering? So <laughs> I open up my Avanza, take down this super big trolley, uh, load all the food up on it, and then try to push out. I'm not sure if you've been to a loading bay, but loading bay is always very high because that's how the lorry unloads stuff. Yeah, I've right? seen one. So, so mm. we have to, so for our, us normal human who doesn't have a lorry, we have to unload at the lower platform and push it up, up that level. Oh, uh, and it's usually very steep. It's usually at least like 30, 30 degree at least, if not 45. It's very, very steep one. So like two young girls, we will push with all our <laughs> might, 80 packs worth of food up that uh, and to go into the loading bay. And the loading bay is always like <laughs> a lot of guys, a lot. It's just yeah. two girls. And then we also a bit intimidated, like, a bit scared. Mm. <clears throat> and then we will go through the loading bay, go out the leaf, um, and then we will reach the client space, unpack everything, lay out the whole catering tray, put everything out, light up the fire, serve the client. And then after that, serve the food, we will pack up, bring everything back and wash. So we wash all the trays, everything, the whole thing. We do it ourselves for two years. So that was physically wow. super draining because on top of doing catering, we are also doing everything else like sales, design. So yeah. everything, so for two years, it was like that. And I think a lot of people didn't know that at all because after that, very funny, after that, we started hiring catering crew. And when mm. I told them, oh, okay, I understand it's really very tiring. Thank you so much for doing this. Then they're like, you don't understand. Then I'm like, I understand, okay. I've done it. For two years. And they were really <laughs> shocked because all the crew are guys. So they're mm. like, you did this for two years? I'm like, yeah. He's like, who? I'm like, me and Sweden and Kim. Then they're like, are you serious? <laughs> Because even they know that it's very tiring. And they, they don't have to wash some more. We wash the whole thing. So You wash for two years? Yeah, really. We bring all the trays. Gosh. Yeah, we bring all the trays. You know the catering trays where they put mm, the food? The big ones. Yeah, we wash everything at our house. <laughs> so sometimes, I remember la, sometimes when we reach home after catering, after you pack out everything, it's super late already. It's like 11. Yeah. 11.30, I will reach home and then I will have to unload all the trays because the trays are filled with curry and stuff. I cannot leave it in Yeah, quite oily as well. Yeah, mm. So I will bring it out, put it on the floor at my car porch and then I will die on the floor. Like I just go into my house in the living room, I just like flat just lie down on the floor and then my dad my dad will be nagging non-stop why you do this why you so tired why you want to do this why i don't understand mm, mm, <coughs> so i think personally what i have to give up on was um my initial dream to do a master's um that is one so my initial dream to do a master's uh initial in the end of course it's i've been in picture for five years uh, the master's never yeah. happened um and i i really really wanted to study abroad so um, mm. I got shortlisted for Chevening scholarship, but in the end, I wow. <laughs> in the end I I emailed and say, or oh, due to some unforeseen circumstances, I, I, I <laughs> very <that."> unforeseen. <coughs> yeah, so um, so that is one thing. I mean, when I sent out that email, it was tough. La. I was thinking, I was really thinking, should I, should I go and or should I stay? Uh, because to me, I was also telling myself, oh, even if I go, it's only nine months, and then when I'm back, I can come. But again, I was thinking to myself, Pitra is at a state where we, we really need people, right? So if I, as a co-founder, leave and go and do my master's in UK, like for what? Like why? Uh, why would I do that to my team? And why would I do that to the chef? So in the end, I decided to stay. So that is one. Um, 
Then on a very personal side, which again, I've never shared this anywhere actually, uh, besides my mm. friend. Uh, but I think now I'm, I'm quite okay to share. On a very, very personal side is during the first year of Picha, um, I, I was in a relationship um, with a Singaporean. Um, so again, it's mm. like... Uh, I, it's like a mini long distance, right? It's it's not far, but it's also not. It's, not it's still long distance, uh. mm. Yeah. So um, we were so so yeah. So I was in a relationship, and like I think um, uh, we've always been talking about okay, when can you move to Singapore? When can you move over? Because it was a very serious relationship where um, we were looking at long term. Mm. But uh, I I would always say, uh, okay, give me one more year. Okay, next year. Okay, next year. So like I just wanted to I wanted Pija to settle down a bit more before I move because my plan is to move and still work remotely. For mm. but at that time I, re- I really couldn't I really couldn't like pack and leave so um, I keep saying uh, next year next year give me one more year every year I say give me one more year <laughs> um, and in yeah. the end it actually didn't take off we actually broke up after three years uh, and yeah so we were together for three years uh, after that we broke out uh, not actually not because of Picha but because of uh, other reasons as well but mm. um, but if if there's no picha at the first place, I think I can, I can just pack and go, lah, right? Like masters in psychology, I can study in Singapore or or I can just work in Singapore. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say it's something that I need to give up on, but it is something that... Um, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's something that I, I have to give up on, but it is something that because of how how much I want to stay here to make things happen, that... Uh, it kind of strain something else. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether it, that makes sense, but, uh, but yeah, that's something very, very personal. Uh, uh, right now, mm. it's been, yeah, it's been like one year plus and I think um, when I look back, you know, sometimes when things happen and it hurts like shit and uh, you might think mm. that, okay, I don't know why is this happening, but right now, looking back, I think the past one year, I am, I am honestly very glad that I was here in Malaysia to ride through the whole COVID season with the team. Um, because I'm just imagining if I am in Singapore working remotely, right? How would it look like? Like, exactly. I cannot imagine. And and mm-hmm. um, that like the whole of last year was just crazy. And I'm very very glad that I was around. Um, and I'm around like wholeheartedly, not like half half. Okay, should I go to Singapore? Should I be here? Cause that did affect me mentally. Where I'm like, do I go all in in Picha because I need to move after that? Like, it's it's a lot of like questions like that, lah. And mm, also, mm. like this year, um, to be here during this time where like team we are going through a bit of restructuring, and uh, yeah, I think overall I'm just very glad that I am still here, um, and I think yeah, that, um, I wouldn't say actually both the masters and the relationship I wouldn't say that it's something that I need to give up on, I think it's just how life works, and I think if anything the biggest lesson I have learned is that um. A lot of times, life don't work out the way you plan. Nothing work out the way I plan. Like, I plan to graduate mm. and go for master's. And never, ever thought I would run a food business, but I end up here. Um, I have always planned to, you know, I have my timeline la, for my personal life. Like, oh, I want to get married at 27. <laughs> I want to, you know, have uh, have my first pregnancy at 29. You know, very, very, very... um. Uh, very naive and think that you can control everything, right? And but but don't work that way. So um, yeah. So I think that's the thing that I've learned. But I think one big life lessons is that I learned is that um, a lot of things you really cannot control. There's a lot of things that I really cannot control. But what I can control is to make sure that whatever I have on my hands now, I do it to my best. 
uh, whatever time I have now, I, I spend as much as I can with the ones that I love. And whatever that I do now, I make sure that I'm doing the right thing that creates impact. And I, yeah, whether or not in the future, how it works. Mm. Because if, if you ask me 10 years down the road, what's my vision for Picha? Yes, I have a vision, but I am also very uh, aware that things might change and might not work out the same way because i mean who knows who saw this pandemic coming um, true 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 yeah so yeah so yeah that's that's like kind of like my state right now yeah i resonate a lot with that because sometimes you know when circumstances change then we have to make like some very difficult mm. decisions that we at that point we wouldn't even know if that's the right thing to do right mm. because if we take another path then Life seems easier, I would say, but then we still, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we still persist with what we do. And I think one very important thing is that we need to know, no matter what decisions we make, right? We live by the consequences of those decisions. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes we need to lose to gain. That's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned. And <laughs> just to be very present, because mm. like you know. We need to know, right, no matter at which state of our life, right, we will always wonder what will happen if we make another decision instead. Mm. But if we really make the other decision, right, we'll probably think about uh, the other decision as well. And there's really no right or wrong things to do. Like what you mentioned, no matter Mm. it's like business decisions for PHIs or even the personal ones. But if we choose it, then we just have to carry on and make the most out of it, I would say. Yeah, for, for me personally, uh, I, I don't mm. like to have regrets and if I make a decision, uh, I always make it with a very conscious mind that um, if let's say mm. the moment that I decided that I I will choose, I will choose not to go for my master's, it was very conscious where I make sure that I don't see this as a sacrifice. I don't want it to be a sacrifice. It is a choice. It's not a sacrifice. I'm not sacrificing anything. Wow. I am choosing something that I want at that moment, which is picha. So the reason why I made that very conscious is because I don't want at any time one day, right, uh, when Picha, when, when things is tough at Picha and I go like, you know, I sacrificed my masters for this. Why is this happening? Mm. I, I don't want that to ever happen because that's very unhealthy. And the same goes to the mm. relationship. Like even right now, sometimes my partner asks me, oh, do you think that you would have gotten married if it's not for Picha? Then I'm like, no, like, I don't want to think it that way, like, right? So, um. And I don't want them to feel that way as well. It's not like that. Mm, right? mm, mm. So I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think it's just how life turned out. And and yeah, so I think I, I don't like to have regrets in a way where... Uh, what do I mean by that? It's not that when I regret on something, I'm like, no, 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 don't regret. It's not like that. It's when I make a decision, <laughs> it's when I make, a decision I make it yes. consciously. And I know that if this is the decision that I make and something screw up after that, I will live by it and I will I will own it up. I won't like, oh my, mm. I, I won't, I, I don't, go girl. Yeah, I don't want to go like, oh my gosh, why did I do that decision? I regret it so much. I, I don't want to let myself fall into that uh, where I can love. Uh, including, that includes my personal life like with my parents. Um, I am mm. also very conscious because I don't want, okay, just, touch wood la. let's say something happened to my parents I don't want to go like oh my gosh I should have spent more time with them why didn't I like why did I shout at my mom just now mm. I, 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 I'm also quite conscious in that so let's say if someday I do um, like like speak loud to my mom uh, I will always like you know give her a call or like hug her and I'm sorry like I, I, I just want to make oh. sure that um, 
Okay, I have no regrets. Yeah, I really want to make sure no regrets. And and I think that is one thing that I learned um, uh, from something that happened to me when I was 19 as well. So when I was 19, one of my very close friends um, actually passed away very suddenly. Um, and that was when um, it hit me that life is very, very fragile and and we can go anytime. And that was when I was thinking, um, okay, if I am going to die tomorrow, can I say that I have done enough? And my answer is no. La. Like at that time, I was mm. you know, drinking bubble tea and living my 19 <laughs> years old, very useless life. And then uh, shortly after that was where I started volunteering. Uh, because I have always mm. wanted to, you know, uh, I always wanted to uh, volunteer, work with the community after I graduate. Then I'm like, why not now? Just do something now. La. So that's how uh, it, it all started. So I think that mindset uh, from the age of 18 does help a lot where I will be very conscious la, in how I live. And even if sometimes I, I... I'm not saying that I'm like super productive every day. Like sometimes if I just lie it and watch it <laughs> or scroll Facebook mindlessly, I do it consciously as well. Like, okay, these six hours, I'm just going to be completely useless. Oh shit, you're so mindful. It's kind of scary. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, not, not, not all the time. La. I mean, I have my bad day. We try to be, right? As yeah, mindful as possible. I have my bad mm. day as well. I won't... I won't of course. Of course. I, I won't, I won't uh, hide that. I have my bad days as well. But as much as I can, even, but even on my bad days, I am conscious that it is a bad day. Um... And, and I will try to do oh, something gosh. about it. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah. yeah, and I think that like this session is like so fruitful. So to be honest, right, I do have like my set of questions that I wanted to ask before I come into this interview. Yeah. And I just really trust the process and just let the conversation take a life of its own. Mm. Like how Suzanne makes her life decisions as well. <laughs> and really, when times are tough, we just do wonder about, you know, what would happen if we choose the other decision as well but all of us would still try to be mindful about it and just to live today as it is and because the days that we take for granted right now will become the years that we yearn to relieve again sometime mm. in the future I would say mm. and so for audiences that would like to learn more about entrepreneurship about your personal journey and about what Picha Eats and Zucchini and Co will be happening share with us how can we do that you can follow us on Instagram so for Picha mm. it's Picha Eats P-I-C-H-A-E-A-T-S um, for Zucchini and Co is yeah it's literally Zucchini and Co <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, other than that so on our social media you can see a lot of our latest offering our products and all that mm. um, but if you want to follow on a slightly more personal not very personal actually but just a lot a, a bit more thoughts then you can follow us on uh, LinkedIn as well um, my personal LinkedIn, Suzanne Ling, uh, my co-founders, Kim Lin, Sui Lin, all the links. Um, you, can, you can follow. Oh, I just realised that. Yeah, it's quite funny. Suzanne Ling, Sui Lin and Kim Lin. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, you can follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, that's where sometimes we share some of our thoughts. Um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. where you can get updates. Yeah, and if you're stuck at home and scratching your head about what mm. to eat next, do head over to pichaeats.com to order fresh meals and prepared meals. And if you're just too lazy to think about what to eat next, like tomorrow, subscribe. the week after, <laughs> do subscribe for their meal plans. Yep, yep. So, yeah, and while you're eating the food, you're also helping them to put food on the table. I think that's the tagline of Picha Eats that I really, really, really love as well. Thank you so much, Suzanne. No worries. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Drop me a DM at G-A-I-D-A underscore O-W if you'd like to have more content like this. And let me know who you'd like to have on the show next. 
Don't forget to stream all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Stay healthy, stay safe. I'm Jida out from the Dabao Podcast, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.